WFNU is a volunteer-run station made up of many different community voices. Each program expresses one aspect of this diversity and not the view of WFNU or FTI as a whole. Anishinaabe and Dakota people in what is also known as Minnesota and uh, affectionately known to us as the Twin Cities in large part uh, for the roots of this show um, at this moment in time. So welcome all to the ADAPT revolution. For our second episode of ADAPT Revolution, we've got some more jokes for you from Cliff, Adriana, Minnow, and Lexi. And then we've got some news from Beth and an interview from a longtime adapter in Chicagoland, Scott Nance. So let's get started with Knee Slapper Synonymous. Here's your jokes, folks. All right, so I've got I've got Cliff and Adriana on the line, and they're going to uh, share some jokes with us for our episode this week. So go ahead when you're ready. Okay, did you did you um say that you were from Tennessee? Who me? Uh huh. Are you from Tennessee by any way? No, that's where my first boyfriend was from. Oh, really? Chattanooga. <laughs> because you're the only pet I see. <laughs> hey, Minnow here. Why do seagulls fly over the sea? Because if they flew over the bay, they would be bagels. Hi, my name is Lexi. Uh... My hopes and dreams for Adapt Revolution is for there to be more ramps. And my joke is, how many Gen Z's does it take to screw in a light bulb? How many? None. It's already lit, fam. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's already lit, fam. You heard it here first. Yep. <laughs> the first piece of news today is about an important piece of legislation moving forward in the House and Senate here in Minnesota. It would seek to do away with the subminimum wage 
which for those of you who don't know, is the ability for certain employers to pay people with disabilities less than the minimum wage uh, because they might say that the work was low skill, things like that. Uh, Beth and I definitely believe in the end of the subminimum wage and what is called sheltered workshops. And um, the house file for that legislation is HF 2513. The Senate file is SF 2669. And we definitely need all of your support uh, with making sure that that legislation goes through. And here in a moment, Beth problematizes the situation with an article from the Pioneer Press from April 8th, where a woman named Amy Lindgren writes in support of keeping the subminimum wage. And that's right here. The worker is ready for a more mainstream job, then that will be a good outcome for that individual. But to push everyone out of the boat with the hope they all can learn to swim, she questions, quote-unquote. That's essentially what it would mean for all the cognitive disabled individuals if the, quote-unquote, shelter workshops were to close. I believe deeply in the subminimum wage and the opportunity, quote-unquote, that provides workers at the very lowest rung, quote-unquote, of the career ladder, which he claims they have, eliminating these opportunities, so-called, even as an unintended but entirely predictable consequence of eliminating the subminimum wage doesn't feel like opportunities to me, unquote. It feels like a blatant example of outright discrimination against those with the most severe disabilities, unquote. Instead of using legislation to eliminate an option. Let's focus on creating more options so the entire spectrum of workers with disabilities can succeed at work. The way that she even phrased the her uh, conversation in the beginning around like, oh, um, these, you know, these people or this population, she said. She said, mm -hmm. this population and like the function of this and the you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, is this like a science project to you? Like we we put the blue sand on the left-hand side and we put the red sand on the right-hand side? Like, no, it doesn't work like that. Everyone exactly. deserves to live. Everyone deserves to have pleasure and dignity and self-worth and belonging and all of that. And they deserve to live fruitful, whole, full lives. And that means oftentimes being fully resourced for what their life requires of them. Please join us in our efforts to end the subminimum wage and close all sheltered workshops. It is an act of abolition, and it is very important to all of our causes here at Adapt Revolution. People with disabilities should be able to be paid living wages for all of their work. And now, Beth and I interview Scott Nance from Chicago. Um, well, um, welcome to the Adapt Revolution, um, Scott Nance. We, uh, we're excited to interview you. You actually um, were part of 
part of the process of us really committing to doing this show and um, getting things rolling. So uh, thank you for uh, being one of the people that uh, sort of pushed this show into reality. I didn't um, I didn't realize that history nor my modest place in it. Uh, wow. Uh, that's, some, that's of those, some of those initial phone calls we had really helped us uh, like decide to to do this for real. So yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely. That's great. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm happy to be a part of it. So Scott comes to us uh, with years of experience as an adapter and um, uh, we're just hoping to hear a little bit from Scott today about number one, who he is, where he's been and uh, where he wants to go um, for um, the adapt revolution that is uh, in front of us and around us. So um, Scott, if you want to go ahead and just introduce yourself a little bit and then uh, we can uh, get into some questions. Sure. Uh, so my name is Scott Nance, S-C-O-T-T-N as in November, A-N-C-E. Uh, preferred pronouns are he, him, or they, them. Uh, and I, my dad was in the Army, so we moved all over the place. Uh, and I was born with some structural ear disability thing uh and because they were army doctors they they just coughed it up as like my mom was a bad mom type of thing mm. so it took a while for them to figure out that there was a structural thing and it was hereditary uh and <clears throat> so in all all of, so i'm the oldest of three then there's my sister who was born three years after me, my brother who was born three years after her, six years after me. Uh, those two were born with the same hereditary ear structure thing. Um, yeah. But my, and my, and my sister was uh, diagnosed with learning disabilities. So she has invisible disabilities that she lives with. And then my brother, though, when he was born, a lot of folks don't understand this language. So prenatally is before you're born, postnatally is after you're born. Um, I think it's perinatally is during the birth. And so mm -hmm. during the birth, birthing process, my brother didn't get enough oxygen. Again, army doctor. Uh, and because of that, he it was eventually diagnosed with cerebral palsy, uh, developmental disabilities, speech disabilities, growth disabilities. And so I grew up with disability uh, in, in my life and very subconsciously was aware of society's uh, attitude towards people in particular like my brother. And... I grew up an angry kid. <laughs> I was a really angry kid. Uh, and grew up, had the 
traveling around thing until we didn't travel around, landed in Illinois. And uh, I joined the Army because that's what you do when your dad is in the Army and your grandfather was in the Air Force and World War II hero and my dad was in Vietnam. It's just like the thing you do. Mm-hmm. And it was also drilled into me from an early age and reinforced throughout uh, most of my adult life, this idea, this value of service to others, service to something bigger than oneself. And, and we're going to, that's going to come back because that's a recurring theme. But when I come home from the army and manage a coffee shop, and then I go to school to become a special education teacher, realize that that's going to be a conflict of interest for me because <laughs> I'm a little angry. And I'm also starting to get a little jaded with the world because uh, 9-11, uh, September 11th of 2001 happened right around the time I was starting to go to school to study to become a special education teacher. So hope for humanity in that moment really started a, a steady decline. Um, mm. And so, but, but also just the idea of like, the, the administration, like, like they were... <sighs> It wasn't going to be a good fit. So I dropped out and I moved to Virginia to help my mom and my brother, really to help my brother, um, who graduated high school, moved into a group home and trigger warning for folks listening to this. uh, He experienced uh, sexual violence in uh, in his group home. And so and, and he confided in me with that information. So he came out to me with that information. Uh, so <clears throat> reinforcing this idea that there's just no hope. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and so mom took him out of there. Mom's dealing with her own clinical depression. A lot of stuff going on uh, in the in the aughts. 2000 through 2007, really. And then t- 2005, moved to Virginia. My mom got a job working for the Marine Corps at Quantico, but she needed someone to be my brother's attendant in, in home services. And so, and, and I had been doing that with him when I came home from the Army. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so, Living in Virginia for the two years, two years we tried, my brother and I tried every which way we could to find someone willing to come into his home uh, and do the work necessary to help him get out of bed and poop, shower, shave. And uh, and he is an active guy. He really liked to do things. It, a lot of attendants don't like to do things. They, yeah. They think I, along the same way as many uh, folks in society think of people with disabilities as people who are just going to lay in bed all day. And that was not my brother's. So there was never really a good fit. Unfortunately, Virginia was also not a good fit for me. And so I left. And not two months Later, I got a phone call from my mother saying she found him. Trigger warning again for folks at home, uh, but but he died. Um, 
and that so now now i really don't have hope <laughs> yeah now i'm really in a pit of despair where i am wishing for death and seeing the headlines of uh, all the bad things that are happening in the world whether that's afghanistan or some little girl doing her homework and a stray bullet <laughs> goes to the glass and kills her and I'm still here and my brother died the way he died. I, I, I hated, I hated everyone. I hated the two of you and I didn't even know you yet. I hated every person who was of voting age in 2007. So if you were 18 or better in 2007, I hated your guts. And the only person I hated more than any of you all was myself um and so that was 2007 i have this friend mike watch and he is the center of the venn diagram that is my life he knew he knows my high school friends he knows uh he knew devin my brother uh and he knows my family, he knows my sister, Kara, he knows my mom, he knows my dad. He also, in time, came to know the disabled community that, that I found uh, later. But um, point being, Mike is someone who has always been in my corner. He's always been there as a real cornerstone in my life. And... He was always checking up on me, always asking if I wanted to work for him or work for somebody else as an attendant. And the last person I worked for as an attendant was my brother. So that was going to be a hard sell. Mm. Uh, and I was, I, I've always been an artist. There's just the mediums have changed. And so at the time I was really hot and heavy into video work, making little short films or whatever. And so Mike asked me one day to help him uh, videotape and photograph his power soccer team, uh, power wheelchair users playing soccer. Mm -hmm. So I got to check that out, learn about that. And he introduced me to this guy named Larry Biondi. And after a few months, Larry Biondi asked me, well, asked Mike, and then Mike asked me, but whatever. Uh, Larry basically needed someone to be his attendant going to dc with some group called adapt and i'd heard of adapt but i didn't really understand adapt i didn't really know what that was i just had a t-shirt that my brother bought me years prior uh that had a that was riffing off the david letterman top 10 list and it was a t-shirt of the top 10 things you don't say to a pissed off uh disabled activist <laughs> it was mm -hmm. really funny it was a really great shirt nice. um, <laughs> so that was what i knew of adapt um and so it was a huge trust that Larry put into me and that I put into him when I agreed. Uh, like, well, okay, maybe it's time to get back in the saddle again. And it was there where I learned to fall in love again. Uh, I, I fell in love with Adapt at first sight. Like I was just uh, so overwhelmed with uh the joy of being pissed off <laughs> um, 
And and what what slowly came of that was learning to be pissed off from a place of love, love for myself, love for my community, uh, really specifically the disabled community, love for the person next to me, and love for the person across the street who has no idea what it's like. And if they're lucky enough to age into a disability, they'll find out. Yeah. So 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 loving all of that part, because the the rage I felt, I still well, I don't feel the rage so much anymore, but I, we'll get into that in a second. Um and the rage I felt before I met Larry and Adapt came from a place of hate, pure hate. And it and it, and it, and it was killing me. It, it, was, it was consuming me from the inside. Mm-hmm. And Larry introduced me to a group that helped me redirect that rage that same rage, but have it come from a place of love. Mm. And so that also, and it also fed into this ideation of uh, serving something bigger than myself. And, and I quickly, I came to determinations that it was very, there were a lot of similar similarities between it and the military service where there's a handful of folks who really know what's going on. It has to be top secret because loose lips sink ships and they've had cops infiltrate and people tracking. Uh, I, I don't know how many watch lists I'm on, but I know I'm on some. Um, and I'm in good company that way. <laughs> so it's not like I'm a unique person that way. A lot of folks on adapter on certain watch lists. Um, and well, I forgot where I was going with that, but uh, but but that I considered, I came to I came to consider my work in Adapt as a continuation of the oath I took to defend the Constitution way back when I first joined the United States Army. Uh, it's just I'm I'm not carrying a weapon now, um, and and these are orders I feel a lot more comfortable with obeying (laughs) yeah so i think my hope hope for me right now i would label as a dangerous thing not unlike the shawshank redemption excuse me um hope for me is a dangerous thing and my I think my overall hope for people, particularly people with disabilities, is that they 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 get in touch with that. Doesn't have to be rage necessarily, but that anger and to embrace it and to utilize it as a tool. For me, I I was utilizing it as a weapon until I met ADAPT and they taught me, I learned how to hone it into a tool to build something with instead of destroy myself with. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I and I wish that for any person with a disability out there who thinks scraps falling off the table are good enough and that rocking the boat is is a risk and a risk worth taking yeah yeah so so hi i'm scott Uh, nice thank you so that answers the question anger get in touch with your your feeling that says i deserve more i want more and um you know to have a platform to really fight for that that's something that i think both beth and i want from this show from the adapt revolution is to help people find uh, community within that frustration, within that mm-hmm. anger, mm-hmm. and really being able to stand up and say, you know, enough is enough, mm-hmm. and this is yeah. not enough, yeah. you know, yeah. to demand more um, from society at large, and to be able to say that, uh, you know, justice mm-hmm. is what love looks like in public, yeah. you yeah. know, um, yeah. that whole idea of really, you um, leaning into care webs and uh, a kind of disability ecosystem that really looks at quality of life and says, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's our deepest, I, I would say my deepest hope from um, getting the show off the ground is to build power and build community um, and really, really position all of us to be able to ask for more. Yeah. Those of us with disabilities and for the disability community in general. And I dig that. And I, and I, there's a couple of different responses I want to provide based on what you just said there, Matt. Um, It, it's, our people face so much isolation and stigma uh in internal what is it called internalized oppression uh, yeah. i guess yeah um where our siblings may be figuratively locked in a closet they're certainly on a global perspective and i and i and in in yeah no literally also in this country very much so literally locked in closets closets yeah and so the isolation and how do we reach out to folk uh, this this medium that uh, with the adapt revolutions show uh is is one one step uh, or one role, one one movement forward. Uh, yeah, we. It, I don't think it's fair to expect from us and I, the royal us, the big us, uh, to expect a stampede. Yeah. It's going to be a slow trickle, I think, mm-hmm. and yeah, and that can feel. I know that can feel frustrating. It's not moving quick enough. We're not reaching enough people quickly enough. And I think 
that's where the lessons that I've learned from my most recent mental health crisis uh, really come into play. And self-forgiveness, and I think the, I, you know, it's it's kind of a term that people throw around a little bit, but uh, that self-care model uh, is 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 imperative in our work because the the flip side of what I experienced throughout the course of my life, dedicating my life to something bigger than myself was not focusing on myself mm. and falling into that trap. A lot of folks who gravitate towards this kind of work uh, fall into, and that is the, the martyrdom. Yeah, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not doing enough for my community. And it's, it's a delicate balance and I don't think it's an easy answer. I, I don't think there's an easy answer for the del for, for how do you find that delicate balance of remembering to love yourself while at the somehow magically at the same time, having the energy to also love the work. Mm -hmm. It can sometimes feel conflicting, yeah. paradoxical, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that I, I would hope that trickle allows us to using that trickle idea yeah. to really reinforce and cement relationships with a few people instead of just trying to force more people without forging um real relationships with yeah because because in this work i can tell you as a as a leader uh, or someone who has been a leader uh, in this work there are there are three goals and the first one is recruitment and as difficult as that is it's actually the easiest of the three because the next one is retainment keeping those people coming, keeping those people yeah. around. And then the third one, development of leadership. Uh, and I see we're hitting a 10 minute time mark. So, oh, yeah. um, so, so let me pause because I've been talking a lot and waxing a lot of philosophical. Were there any follow-up questions that you had for me, either based on what I said or what I haven't said? I guess the the biggest thing for me is um what is your advice to uh people who've been looking for community who might be um hoping that that something like this radio show could really connect them to community in a bigger way? What is your advice to listeners who um are really craving that kind of connection i like that question and i think i think the answer is going to be similar to the same kind of questions i get when a person with a disability asks me about employment how do i get a job and 
my response is, well, here's some resources. And the reality is things are possible. This world is not really built for us. So you, you may not have found the job you want yet because you haven't created it. Yeah. And I think that entrepreneurial spirit that used to drive this country uh, is something that people with disabilities can and do capitalize on. Uh, yeah. Pardon the, I, I'm not a, I'm not a capitalist. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a capitalist. Yeah. And, and like, I don't know. It's, and also, I guess the other thing that I would want to convey is maybe activism isn't for you. Maybe there's academia, there's arts and culture, there's uh, any number of different domains of living where folks can connect. So it doesn't, I mean, we. I've been sitting here talking about being pissed off and love and all that stuff. And that's and, and wishing for folks to be in touch with their anger, not necessarily rage, although that's cool too. Um, I also recognize that that's not everyone's song. Not everyone likes to dance to that. Um, that's okay. I don't, and I think the challenge for again the royal us in adapt and activist circles in general is how to create that space or do we even want to create that space because um, right. then that, yeah. that takes energy and it also like if, if we don't spend that energy well, what are we saying about the inclusivity that we're that we're seeking so i i don't know it's messy and it's just part of being human this is just this yeah, is just it is. and it can suck <laughs> it can yeah. be really really poopy sometimes uh, and, and i think this is one of those paradoxical uh things but you know this this woman over here over my shoulder uh, it may be difficult to to see yep. her but you know frida Kahlo uh, yeah. is someone who i uh hold in in high high esteem and her story as a disabled uh, uh revolutionary artist who was extremely anti-capitalist uh, is is someone who I really just am always looking to. Uh, I'm always trying to learn from, and yeah. Yeah, thank you for mentioning her. Definitely, I mean, we all we all join. You know, whether this is a cause or it's a space for community or it is a place to hold rage and find commonality and um and you know just to feel like our quality of life is something that we can strive for together in a um in a meaningful way you know um and just to express ourselves and live our lives to paint from your bed like that and to be such a revolutionary like Frida Kahlo uh was you know like you said um just to to live life regardless, you know, and uh, yeah. 
and our lives are worth living. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, 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 the, the person who's out there in a wheelchair waiting to get on a bus who feels embarrassed or maybe even a little bit of shame that it's taking more time to let them to, to roll out the ramp and help them get on the bus, whatever. So, and they feel bad about that. Like, no, don't, don't feel bad about that. It just, this is life. Other folks have a problem with that, taking that much time out of their commute. That's on them. Yeah. That's, that's not on you. Yep. Yep. Um, and, and, and it's going to take time. It's just, it's going to take time. Uh, when was the last ugly law? There were these things called ugly laws. I think the last one was repealed sometime in the 70s. Okay. So it's, and that's just in this country. Um, globally. Oof. Literally saying that someone is ugly? Yeah. Uh, yeah, for, so for listeners and, and for anybody here, Matt, yourself, Beth, if you're not familiar with this, look up ugly laws because that's what, I don't think that's what they were like called, but that's what they were called. Uh-huh. Am I making sense? Yes, yes, I'm not yes. even making sense to that's myself. That's the term that groups them together as a group of laws, so to speak. That's how people yeah. spoke about them. Yeah. And it's undesirables. And yeah. and and it's and it's it is exactly those laws that when when we were sitting in a restaurant, so kind of bringing it back full circle to my childhood, what I remember. And, and the subconscious effect it had on me sitting in a restaurant and seeing all of these people glaring at our table, knowing, but not really knowing, but, but understanding subconsciously it's because my brother eats differently than other folks in the restaurant yeah. and it's ugly to them mm -hmm. it's that kind of ugly they th those laws were designed to keep undesirables vagrants right uh folks who didn't smell good folks who ate messy uh yeah yeah they weren't allowed in public spaces mm. uh it was illegal so yeah. Um, I'm so glad those are off the books. Oh, I am too. They're off the books. I I would say with the last few seconds we have left, for folks who thinks for folks who think eugenics is over, and eugenics being the bastardized uh, version of Darwinism, um, mm. the um, the survival of the fittest. The eugenics was something Adolf Hitler learned from us here in the United States, particularly on the West Coast, Oregon and uh, California. And he actually flew folks from the U.S. to Germany so he could learn more from them. Yeah, he did. And we still have that today. We just call them rehabilitation centers. We call them nursing homes. 
we mm -hmm. call them uh, care centers. Right. Uh, and, and so their lives are worth living too. And, and right. ADAPT right now is, is engaged in the struggle to free our people is what we call it. Yeah. Um, and to learn more about that, well, it's, well, that's a whole other message that that's a whole other time to spend <laughs> breaking that down. But uh, yeah. we're out of time. Thank you, Beth. Thank you, Matt. Oh yeah. You're Thank welcome. You. See you uh, in July. Yeah. Oh, the, with the disability pride parade. Disability pride. Yeah. Disability pride. All right. Thanks to Scott for the interview. Thanks for talking to us about how we can turn our hate into love and that love into justice through organizing, building power, and building community. Thanks to all of those who shared jokes with us today. And thanks again to Beth for letting us know about how we in Minnesota can put an end to the subminimum wage and sheltered workshops. That's the work ahead of us, folks. And that about wraps up our episode of Adapt Revolution, your weekly antidote to hate, greed, and ableism, where the D word is disability. Thanks for tuning in. Like three antibiotics, a life about balance and not a plaster. People who label me as conscious, I'm not turning other cheeks, but I'm not for beef. Never been me if we being honest. Got a little pole and keep a poke on me so they won't catch me slip. As if the most famous picker Malcolm wasn't the one in which he had the stick in it. I got a little shorty from up north, but you know she built like a country bumpkin. Talking thick enough to sit a cup on it, won't even move. You know how I'm bumming. <laughs> Hood too, she got mob ties, can't cap, I love it I mean, she the type who drunk uncles always trying to shake up at family functions We was down the street from family focus, born right there, 1480 fizzle Dillard emerged right after the other child, that was the one up in the middle Mama raised the 18 like she Della Reesma Nigga is rolling next to me like Stevie from Malk in the middle He talking sour, he get smacked in the skittle, huh? Cause I bought all mine, if you bought all yours, it's bustin' for real it's bustin'. If them is all yours, then they are all mine, it's nothing for real it's nothing. We just hustlin' to the function, like damn it, it's bustin' for real Like damn it, it's bustin' for real I tell them it's bustin' The blue don't surprise you when you thinkin' harvest We stronger than we look up, sweepin' carpet I'm surgical with it, we told to be doctors, but we thinkin' artists I stopped thinkin' novice, my homie told me I was thinkin' too modest I'm not the hardest, I'm him, so I'm the one I'm a grown-ass man don't talk to me crazy, I'm not so sound, but I shot like one The sun in my zodiac, say rap man, I'm cold with that I'm Gucci Mane, playing Mr. Freeze with a froze on super suit Said I 
can't stop Said I'm Roddy Rich with a Rubik's Cube if you tryna box Get a buck, spit it with the guys How I'm up and none of my homies not I can't let it rock Like, damn, it is busting for real. Like, damn, it is busting for real. I told him it's busting. 